0: Welcome to the c Podcast. I'm Naima Kalachand, and I'm the clinical editor. Following on from our webinar on how to overcome racism in the pharmacy, I followed up with our panelists to see if they could answer the questions from the audience that we didn't have time to discuss during the webinar. First of all, I spoke to Shiraz Khan, head of healthcare operations for Superdrug. I asked Shiraz, how can we address the discomfort of talking about racial discrimination in our profession? This is what he had to say.
1: During the BAME panel event, Naima, we covered this off really and it's key that we create a culture whereby everybody is comfortable talking about race and racism. So for me, it starts with education, and we have to start talking about it. I talked during the BAME panel event around ignorance, and I still think there's a lot of ignorance around racism, and people don't necessarily feel comfortable talking about it. So the best we can do to support those people is education, talking more around what unconscious bias is, talking more around allyship, and how people can become true allies and support the cause of eradicating racism it comes down to those leaders within the pharmacy and the organizations to really set the example and champion many people will shadow the leader cass and i think that's really important so that means They do talk about racism and race, and they also talk to people in the moment where they see or hear certain things that they deem inappropriate, rather than allowing those things to carry on and almost subconsciously reinforcing maybe words or actions that may be deemed as racist and inappropriate. So I think creating that culture is really, really important and addressing some of those key principles of unconscious bias, allyship, education. One of the things we've been doing recently is setting up sessions with an external provider for our exec team. And the sessions are specifically being comfortable about talking around race. So it stems right from the top of the organisation all the way down and, and, and through to the
0: teams. During the webinar, you also talked about regular touch points. One of our questions is, what about pharmacists' slogans? This person has commented to say, I've not had a COVID-19 risk assessment and neither am I included in the regular touch points that had been mentioned during the webinar. What about pharmacists? locums? Is there more that they could be doing themselves with regards to risk assessments?
1: I think that's a really great question, Naima. So having personally locumed many, many moons ago in the past, I've actually had a, a great fondness for locums and they are unsung heroes that deliver some great care and support to our teams in Superdrug and also obviously our customers as well so in the past i've championed in other roles in other organizations that we keep that communication line open to our locums and actually almost treat them as our own employees because they're a critical part of the organization and there's something that i've carried through my career and into superdrug that we need to have that mentality of they are effectively part of our employee base when you know we want to communicate important messages whether that be support or general things that are going on within the organization so We have started that journey and I I can't say that, you know, we are at the end of it. There's still more to do. My regional managers are fully aware that my expectation is we communicate with locums frequently and we keep them informed of what's happening. And we have a number of mechanisms at the moment, certainly at Superdrug, that allow us to do that. Our platform that the locums book through means that um, they can have a two-way communication channel with the regional managers and also the locum booking team to make sure we can send pertinent information across. But specifically answering the question of the risk assessments and getting that information over to the locums, we've clearly started our risk assessments with our own employees. And that was a directive from me and the organisation that we need to do that first. And we are in the middle and coming towards the end of that piece of work. But there is a knock-on effect that affects all of those people that work within our pharmacies, including our locums. So we have deployed screens, visors, PPE, gloves, masks, you know, all of those measures and all those social distancing measures will support our locums as well as our own employees and customers. So whilst, yes, we haven't specifically done risk assessments per se with our locums, I know that having done the risk assessments and looked at our pharmacies, actually we are protecting both our locums and our own colleagues as well. And that's really important to me and we'll we'll continue to do that. Now that we're coming to the end of those risk assessments, we will look at what do we need to do for our locums and is there anything in particular and what is the guidance from the regulatory bodies for that support and the measures that we have to put in place so we'll take all of that on board and act accordingly. I think if a locum has some specific concerns around the current pandemic and their own personal circumstances, I think what I would do is a self-employed locum, they are well within their right to complete their own risk assessment and having worked through that if there are some specific circumstances or specific nuances that we need to cater for and take into account, you know, we will happily do that once they've completed that risk assessment and shared those kind of outcomes with us. And I think important you know for them to complete that if they do think that they may be putting themselves at risk.
0: That was Shiraz Khan, head of healthcare operations for Superdrug. Next I spoke to Lola DeVeri. Lola is the Northern Ireland and Scotland lead for the UK Black Pharmacist Association. First of all, I asked Lola, should there be a BM pharmacist group instead of just a black pharmacist group? This is what she had to say. It is very important
2: to have a black pharmacist group and not just a group that lumps ethnic minority groups together. This is because over the years, it's been seen that the experience of black pharmacists, pre regs and students differs significantly from those of their counterparts, from other minority ethnic groups. It is thus very vital to ensure that the voice, that is the quality and authenticity of those that identify as black is heard untainted. Lumping them together would mean turning a blind eye, so to say, on real life experiences and differences.
0: For my next question, I ask Lola, are institutions, including our regulator and employers, doing enough to discourage racism? Institutions like our
2: regulator and the employers could definitely do more to discourage racism. Firstly, like I mentioned before, a quality decision to stand as allies is very important. This could be aptly demonstrated in supporting groups, like UK BPA, who I'm representing as their lead for Scotland and Northern Ireland. Our regulator and other organizations and employers could support us with funding, promoting, and making available needed resources to ourselves to help us carry on the work that we do smoothly. Taking a stance of zero tolerance, communicated right from interview stages in organizations. And through daily operations and consistent education, will help drive the good message home effectively.
0: That was Lola DeBerry from the UK Black Pharmacists Association. So now I'm going to be speaking to Addie Williams, who is a superintendent pharmacist at the multi award winning Bedminster Pharmacy in South Bristol. First of all, I asked Adi, has anybody suffered any racism from users of pharmacist services? And this is what he had to say.
3: When that question came through, one of the things that I was immediately shocked by is that unfortunately, it's not too uncommon for that to happen. The reality is that community pharmacy sits in the society where increasingly we do see those sort of incidents happen. Even for us in our pharmacy, which is a very ethnically diverse pharmacy, but sits in a part of a city where it is the least diverse part of our city, we know that we have incidences where that does happen. But the credit to our community, I know from personal experience and what happens when such things happen to any of my colleagues is how the patients and the community itself responds and they are usually the ones that actually will police that they will call out that action themselves they will many times confront the perpetrators and actually put them in place and i think that's important i think one of the things that came out from the conversations that we were having as a panel was how many times that is not the experience of pharmacy colleagues when they are confronted by that and how the team around them does not stand up for them. I'm very grateful that you know, I can see that our team not only stands up for each other, but we even have a community that will stand up for us. But I can also understand that sense of real isolation and vulnerability that you would experience if none of that is afforded you.
0: For the next question, I asked Adi, what about addressing collusion of majority pharmacy staff to racially discriminate against a minority?
3: The painful part of that is that when it does occur, it is evidently a failure of the organizations and leadership as well. What it reflects is the values or the lack of those values and also the culture or the toxic culture that feeds those sort of things. And we must really emphasize that importantly, it is illegal, but it is yet Another excruciating and traumatic experience for anybody to go through and we must never lose sight that the ripple effect of this not just destroys an individual and and robs them of their confidence, humanity, their dignity, but that toxic environment if it's not tackled then also impacts their families and their loved ones as well because all those associated with them are then also having to deal with those things and the impact of it. So I think there is a real importance for us to look at the force of regulatory and legal powers, alongside helping to facilitate re-education where appropriate. I'm really grateful that one of the things that the panel identified is that not every incident is born from a point of deliberate or conscious malice. Nevertheless, ignorance, I think, in this particular subject or this particular area cannot afford you a license. And I think we need to then say, well, actually, there is a strong legal and regulatory framework, whether against individuals or organizations that allow this sort of behavior to happen, because pharmacy will never accommodate that sort of behavior. They will not accommodate you. And you will feel the full brunt of the accountability and regulatory frameworks that underpin everything that we do but there is also going to be re-education but that re-education is afforded you because you have done a wrong not to say that it's an excuse for your wrong.
0: Adi for the next question from the audience it was how can we all educate pharmacists as to the importance of not making fun of names that are unusual or those which they cannot pronounce what advice would you have on this?
3: I like the example that you put in your blog namer because there is a inerrant And it seems obvious, but almost inherent lack of an appreciation that a name itself is the first and most important character attribute invested in any life. So it always has great value. And it also also has value. And when you denigrate it in any way, there is no excuse for that behavior. And just like you would afford and you would expect anybody to afford you dignity and value in your identity... That, I think, is what you are taking away from someone when you cannot be bothered or you cannot learn to get their name correctly. There is a precedent to this because one of the broader historical learnings that we know is that in any sort of colonial or enforced servitude, one of the first things that any culture that was put into that sort of enforced servitude would do is that they would have their identity withdrawn from them by having their names changed. It is a well-documented practice and it is the mainstay of this racial power play that has happened for generations. So actually when you are interacting with somebody and you not only can't be bothered to get their name right, But sometimes you even suggest to them what would be a better name to have or the name that you have chosen to give to them. I think it's the ultimate thought of disrespect. So I think there is work to do about educating that. But I think we mustn't lose sight of the fact that the context from which that behavior happens is usually the real problem. And it's about if you value a person you will be bothered enough to know their names and try and get it right i really like the way you tackled it in your blog because you gave examples of actually how people can reach that problem as well and thank you for that
0: our next question is how would you advise those at the early stages of their careers for example pre-registration pharmacists
3: i appreciate the fact that it is not easy to stand up on your own you know, personality, circumstances, and other factors will all be, you know, weighed in trying to do that. So we must make sure that everyone knows it is just not acceptable for them to experience or be subject to any vile, racist, or denigating behavior. The other bit that we then need to do is we need to make sure that if you are subject to that because we have succeeded as a profession in creating a culture where we all believe we all accept and more importantly we are all actively driving forward an agenda against such behavior is that we make it easy for that person who is in that sort of experience to access the right amounts of support and also the necessary interventions there to be able to call for help is very easy if we don't do so what then happens is that we end up with situations where people particularly when they are isolated or due to the power balance in the organization or teams that they are in they will be subject and feel as if they have to put up with those things so I think there is a, a real kind of sense for us that it, we mustn't just be a people that our message is, oh, we are, let's try and kick out or stamp out racism in pharmacy. But actually, what we are trying to say is that pharmacy will kick you out if you abber or you behave in a way that has such prejudice or such a mindset. If that message is there, it will embolden people who are also... Subject to behavior to come forward and be able to speak up, knowing that they're on the right side and the home machinery of our profession is behind them. But more importantly, it will also get people who are on the wrong side of this sort of behavior to start to actively look at how they can help themselves. Because I think that's the other bit in this is to say, Well, this is what I used to be, but I have learned and have changed and it mustn't be that actually it is up to the person who is receiving the bad behaviour to also address that.
0: And that leads us on to our next question. Are institutions, including our regulator and employers, doing enough to discourage racism?
3: On the evidence and assessment of where we are now, I would say no. But yet, I am really struck by how blessed we are as a profession that we have remarkable individuals in our profession. And I know that for those remarkable individuals, the behavior that we're talking about is not one that they themselves would espouse. So, what we are then faced with is how do we make sure that our organizations are strong enough and that they put this particular matter at the top of their agenda? I feel that that's not happened so much in the past. And up until we can get these collective agendas and priorities to align in such a way that this becomes an issue that is a top priority one. Those that are feeling the brunt of it are continue not just to feel crushed by it daily, but they will perceive rightly that the fact that there is not much emphasis or importance attached to it to mean that there is not much emphasis or importance attached to me and thus we can talk about this there are lots of assessments that we can do there are lots of programs that we can run about this and they are all very good in themselves but I think the most important thing we can certainly do from today is to start to say well this matters enough so We are starting with this action and we're starting with that action. One of the ways that I always remember this is in Dr. Martin Luther King's very famous dream speech at the American Capitol Hill. He said this many times that there is a need for an expediency. And it gets lost in that speech because what people think about is that he was telling about how to move a people from a good place to a better place. But what he was actually trying to draw the attention to, which is I have a dream rhetoric, was to say that people are living a nightmare and that if we do not move people quickly we will not save them and I think actually if that can echo in the minds of our organizations and in our leaders that people are living through a nightmare and they've been living through it and it's really crushing them can we do something about it quickly I think that sort of urgency is really where we are letting ourselves down. And I think that urgency will only come when we align these experiences of members of our profession to something that is in conflict with our own shared values. And so it's priority to put it right.
0: That was Addy Williams, independent prescriber and superintendent pharmacist at the multi-award-winning Bedminster Pharmacy in Bristol. That was Shiraz Khan, Lola Deberry, and Addy Williams, Answering questions from the audience from our webinar on how to overcome racism in the pharmacy. You can find the full webinar discussion on our website. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to CND Podcast on iTunes or your preferred Android app. Thank you for listening.